Hello, this is John Renaud, and you're listening to the Mobile Radio Carnival via the CEF.world. Check us out, Uncommon Genius for the Common Types. How are you? Okay, how are you? I'm fantastic. I'm really happy to do this with you. Me too. I'm like uh, looking forward to it because you're like one of the most interesting people I know and you've been one of the most fun neighbors I've ever had in my life. You're a fun neighbor too. Oh my gosh. Hey, you know how I start these is I normally have the guest introduce themselves. So you'd have to say something like uh, the name of the show is the Mobile Radio Carnival. Okay. So, you, so you say, hi, I'm Steffi, I'm John's neighbor, and you're listening to the Mobile Radio Carnival. Okay, I'll test it. And if you can't do it, just do it again. Okay. Anytime you're ready. Oh, I do it right now? Yeah. Okay. Hi, this is Steffi, and I'm John's neighbor, and this is the Mobile Radio Carnival. Fantastic. That's beautiful. How are you today? I'm okay. How are you? I, I'm good. I hear your bird in the background, and I see your lovely bookshelf there. I don't see the mannequin that we shared. Um, it's it's at my boyfriend's house right now. Oh, because uh, he needed to sell some merchandise on his band camp, and so we put the t-shirts on the mannequin. Oh, that's fantastic! Is he's a musician? I didn't know that. Yeah, but she'll be back. the The mannequin. Did you give her a name? Meryl. Meryl. That's a very nice name. I like that. Meryl the mannequin. Yeah. So Steffi's been my neighbor for, we've been neighbors for like 16 years now, something like that. I did some yes. math, some tentative math. I'm not very good at it, but, uh, and you've been like such an interesting person to be around, whether it be from the duck in the, the courtyard that you brought in or different hair color every, every third day. Mm-hmm. There was always something new or you would come by my patio with some friends and you would drink whiskey with me and my buddy, Matt, and we'd cause yeah. all kinds of problems into the night just to give people kind of a background. But you've also done some very interesting jobs. You uh, used to remanufacture keyboards. Would that be a right way to say it? Uh, I would repair vintage keyboards. I like the way you say it better. So you got to know kind of famous old keyboard players like Keith uh, Emerson and people like that, right? Yeah, I would I would help some of those people sometimes with some of their old keyboards. And what kind of keyboards would they bring into the shop? Um, the, they were synthesizers. So they were ARPs and Moogs, uh, old Yamaha synths and Korgs and Krumars, things like that. Right. And did you ever, have you ever like, I guess a sing clavier would be a tough one to see brought into the office because they were so big, but that would be a vintage thing. Have you ever worked on anything like that? I've never worked on one of those. And I do have some clients though. And when I come, when I go visit their house or their studio, I'm always asking to see it, but they're like, yeah. oh, it's out in the garage. It's huge. You know, so they didn't really bother bringing it up the stairs into their studio because right. it's big. Um, so I've never actually been around a working one. One of the first recording studios I recorded in uh, back in the old days had a Sinclavier. And it, um, the computer aspects took up 
20 by 15 feet at that point. And then the keyboard obviously would be a separate thing. I didn't get to record on it, but damn, I always thought that was like one of the coolest things ever. Yeah. Usually you'd have to have in the studio, somebody who was just designated to know how to run that uh, is, it was a pretty intense way of making music. Well, I think too, that because uh, keyboards progressed, it kind of was the death of the Synclavier. Would that make yeah. sense? Yeah. Especially because I, you know, I just recently went and got a sampler and, you know, I have an old monitor. I have the keyboard to control it. I have the rack space. That's the actual sampler. And then I have like the interface for the sampler. Uh huh. And now you can do the exact same thing on an iPad. Right. So, that- you know, and the samples are, are, you know, pretty much just as good. Yeah. I'm, I'm quite a bit older than you. And uh, I remember actually having arguments with friends about whether or not CDs were going to be around because at the time when they first came out, they didn't sound as warm as analog recording. Uh So, so people like, Oh, it doesn't sound right. So there's no way it's ever going to last and blah, blah, blah. Well, they were right. You know, they came and went really. um, But but for different reasons, obviously the internet and, and the accessibility and the ability to load stuff on smaller stuff makes it, uh, makes it, easier than hey i got a cd of my music i could just send it over the internet yeah it also taught people how to just skip songs and not listen to a whole album that's true too and it also taught (laughs) people that they didn't have to pay for music yeah so i guess there's some evil with all of that uh and it is funny you say that i had a conversation with a uh uh, band guy um i think two podcasts ago we talked about the fact that you know, he had a 14 song album that he put together and he thought, what am I doing? No one's going to take the time to listen to song after song after song. So he broke it down and released it as one single and then waited a while and did another single um, to your point. So let's do some neighbor talk. What the <laughs> heck was the deal with the duck in the courtyard? My kid still uh, loves that fact that he walked out there one day as a little little boy and saw a duck wandering around. Um, well, that particular duck, there's been probably about six ducks that have lived in this apartment over the years. Yes. It, for various amounts of time, that particular duck, um, was at the Echo Park Lake and I noticed it the first day I was there and it was just too friendly. So I, I, I figured out probably somebody had dumped it there because it had gotten too big and they couldn't take care of it. So they left it at the lake. Um, and I just thought this duck is too friendly. I don't think it's going to make it out here because it was just like going up to anybody and eating out of their hands. But it was like kind of getting kicked around by the other ducks. And so I, I, I decided to go check on it the next day. And when I went there, there was like a dog attacking it right as I oh got my. there. So I just like picked it up and I was like, yeah, you can't be here. You're like a domesticated duck. You need to be living with a family. And so I took it to my apartment and it lived in my kitchen for about a month. Uh, I had a roommate who wasn't very happy about that. She kind (laughs) of just dealt with the fact that there was just newspaper all over the kitchen floor for about a month. And we just cleaned the newspaper every day. Um, And then it would swim in the bathtub when we could, or I'd take it to the lake uh, but finally, I took it to the Pasadena Humane Society, um, and there was a woman there who owned 
a uh, farm, an 11 acre farm. And so she, she was like, Oh, I have a duck that needs a friend. And so she took it and then now it lives a better life than all of us put together. That's fantastic. And you are a uh, bird person slash uh, reptile person, right? I mean, you had a lizard and you have birds. Yeah. I had, when you first moved in, I had lizards. I've had these birds for a while. The one bird I've had for 22 years now, almost. Um, And so, yeah, I also, that same duck attacked your wife's feet. Uh, That's right. Yeah. Because she was wearing sandals and it hated feet or it liked feet, but it didn't know how to act around feet. So it attacked feet, but it actually ended up liking feet too much. Yeah. Um, And then it, traumatized uh jody unfortunately but it was just trying it was trying to get her feet (laughs) the duck had a foot fetish uh, fetish for some reason exactly and then he was chasing after her and she was like jumping over it trying to get away from it but for for some reason i thought that duck had a broken leg or something that's why you ended up bringing the bird to kind of save the bird from that i guess um No, it just didn't. It was definitely a domesticated duck and it shouldn't have been just kind of like hanging out at the lake because it was getting, it was getting beat up and it needed to live on a farm or something. Yeah. So your bird that you have now is some 20 plus years. What type of bird lives that long? What kind of bird Um, is it? Well, parrots live a long time and the bigger they are, usually the longer they live. So some macaws will live like 80 years if they're the big bigger macaws right and those cockatoos like the white ones will live like 60 years and my bird is generally is supposed to like live 25 to 30 years oh that's fantastic so you have a a companion for a while yet hopefully exactly sometimes uh, that bird gets away though right yeah he flew away i remember that we we, it became kind of a neighborhood thing to seek out the bird yeah, there was a three day, it was like three days that we were out there. And then also Jody and Julian came and helped me get the bird right. back. So right. jo- I, I'm forever indebted to them. Yeah, we were, I was shocked that you, honestly, I was shocked that the bird stuck around, but you explained to me that, that they didn't, the bird didn't really have a reason to fly off really, that it was happy in the canopy that, it, that, that is our neighborhood. Yeah. And also he was like the first day he thought it was funny. And the second day he was like, wait, (laughs) how am I going to eat? How am I going to eat? So that was a big part of it too. Now, how did he tell you that? How do you know that he thought it was funny? He was laughing. Gotcha. He was like actually laughing at me when I went outside. That is very fun. He was like, hello, ha 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 ha. I'm laughing. That's funny. And people should know that you work at the zoo, if I'm not mistaken, as well, right? Uh, yeah, I'm a volunteer slash docent at the zoo. At the L.A. Zoo. Yeah. yeah. But I'm not really supposed to talk about that. Oh, then we won't talk about that. I don't want I don't want we have plenty to talk about. We have oh, yeah, whisk- it's OK. They just are like, don't talk about that. Like, I don't know. Right. I assume because, you- because of PETA stuff. Oh, I got you. But I assume you enjoy the the job because you are around animals and uh, it keeps you happy that way. Yeah, it's really fun. And um, it's nice to go and do that right now because I don't have a yard. I don't have even a little 
uh, balcony. So right. it's nice to be able to go walk around outside somewhere and it be safe. And, and when you're there, do you typically relate to the birds and the lizards or are you like, I like to visit the elephants as well, or is it just fun to be around animals altogether? I've been trying to just kind of stay around the birds and I'll go visit uh, the alligator, the alligators. It's funny because like the, it's right where, where I am when I leave every day, I'll like see like a gorilla kind of like right. poking his head up and looking at me, but I'm, I'm just am staying away from the gorillas right now because then I read that thing about the girls getting COVID. So I'm just kind of sticking to the birds and the reptiles for right now. I gotcha. I had no idea that gorillas could get COVID. That's very, I mean, it makes sense. And yeah. They're, they're related. Yeah. There was an article that the, at the San Diego zoo that they thought that the gorillas got, or that they, I forget if they thought, or they did test positive for COVID, but right. um, they were like coughing and sneezing. Ah. And so I see the gorillas and I'm like, I'll just stay. I mean, I can't get that close to them anyway, yeah. but I just, I don't, you know, it's like, I don't want to get any old people sick. I definitely don't want to get any gorillas sick. Right. You, you can't keep them. You have to keep away, but you also can't get them to wear their masks. Right. <laughs> just just like old old people and gorillas have that in common exactly uh, they just can't figure that that thing around their ears it really bothers them the, the strapping around the ears or are people taking their rights away i don't know yeah well it's a that's always a funny subject because uh, who knows what rights we actually have anymore you know it's like you're arguing this you're arguing that how are you doing with covid obviously you i know you have not um, gotten COVID yet, and hopefully you do not. Um, I've had my I've had my first half of the vaccine because I got that through my Kaiser work. Oh, cool! So where um, are you at? Uh, just waiting for that vaccine. But yeah. you know, obviously, I'm not a priority, and that's okay. Um, I was going to say the one right that we do have is to buy stuff. We do. We're so consumers. we can always yeah we can always buy stuff. We have that right. I like that, that consumerism. That's our, our freedom. Our freedom is to buy stuff. Indeed it is. And if it's on Amazon, that's like two extra freedom points. You can buy stuff, but you can't talk about it unless it fits a certain um, uh, approval rating from the majority or else you get ganged up on by the evil uh, Frankenstein people who are out with their pitchforks and their, I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. Do you know what I'm talking about at this point? Frankenstein people? Yeah, you know what I mean. They're out yeah. there with their torches and their pitchforks saying, John, you've said this wrong today. You must be skewered. Yeah. I think I'm just rambling about that. Oh, no, I understand what you mean. Yeah. But, but I, can, I can still buy stuff, though. I just, you know, whatever I buy, I keep to myself because I don't want people <laughs> to know that I bought something blue instead of something red. Don't worry. It's in a database somewhere. Oh my gosh. I, I didn't even think about that. Um, yeah. I mean, but it's just to sell you more stuff in the future. It's not to do anything else with. Yeah. But do you, when do you get your second dose of the vaccine? Uh, February 10th. Oh, it wow. Was a, it was a very, I, I'm, you know, it's a funny thing. I work for Kaiser as a care actor which somehow, because I guess I'm around doctors, sometimes I'm allowed to get the shot, the vaccine. 
I'm not really sure how I really qualify. And uh, so I thought, well, you know, I guess I should just do it because it's something everyone eventually is going to be doing. So I don't really know what I think about having the advantage of getting the shot. I don't, I don't really know what I think of all of it, but I'm scheduled to go back the 10th. I, I experienced a headache for a week after the first shot. I don't know if it had to do with the shot. That's the only negative that I feel I experienced. I'm not trying to talk anyone out of taking it. Um, I still, I guess I'm rambling because I don't really know what I think about it still. I mean, I'm doing it because I don't, I'm not going to be the guy who's like, we were talking about where it's like, I, I should never have to do stuff like this. It should be my choice and all. I, I don't really care. I would like to protect myself and other people and it makes sense to do. Yeah. Um, two of my friends got it and the one said her arm hurt really bad and she was really tired. Um, she yeah. got, she got the Moderma and then the second friend also got the Moderma. Is that what's called Moderma? Yeah. And then, um, she said that she was really thirsty and I know when I get really thirsty, I tend to get a headache. So maybe that was, I, I definitely believe that your headache was probably from that because it does have side effects. Yeah. And they, you know, I go back for the second and, and I will say the shot in the arm did hurt a little more than a shot normally does to me. It wasn't, it wasn't um, that bad for me, but it, I did notice it was more than any other shot that I ever had where there was some tension in the, the muscles still for a couple days and things like that. But um, I mean, I'm happy to be able to do it. I, again, I just don't, I don't know. I'm just operating on faith that, that it makes sense and I should do it. You know, um, I hope that you can get it as soon as, I mean, I hope they figure it out and make it happen faster for, for people than what's been going on. Did you get the Pfizer or the Moderma? Pfizer. You oh. know, I just, I just, the, the dude who was signing me in asked, and I didn't even know that I had a choice and I asked him which he, he did and he did the Pfizer. So I just, I just went with that. Yeah. I don't know what the difference is. I haven't researched it yet, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not fun times. And then, uh, you know, being on the government dole is kind of a new thing for me. Um, I don't, you know, in some ways it's been a nice vacation from people. Um, you know, having working at a club and doing all the things I did. And in some ways I really miss being around people. So strange times, there's no doubt about it. And you've, you've found your way through so far, I assume. Yeah, it's, I had a lot of clients before, so it was, you know, every day of the week, a different person, I would see at least one person a day, right. you know, um, that was coming in. And, you know, some weeks I had the same person would come in weekly, you know, just yeah. come say hi. So I was used to helping people and answering questions and seeing new people every day. And so that part of it is really weird for me. Uh, but the one thing that I have been doing is, is, you know, volunteering at the zoo. Um, so that's like something I can do. And then I've been playing bingo every Wednesday. Bingo. So that helps me. Cause then it's like, I get to see those friends every Wednesday, the same right. ones over zoom. And so that's something where I think it's helpful for all of us to see each other Yeah. and check in. But other than that, you know, work 
has been all over the place for me ever since the pandemic yeah. started. I've gone through every shade of job, getting a job, job loss, and having the same job and figuring out it's not the best thing. Well, and I found too, and I know we briefly talked about um, how the unemployment set up, uh, but we didn't talk about this aspect about how freaking, like I've never done it. So I was lost. I mean, it's so confusing at some levels. And then they, they had to have me identify myself and I had to mail off to them. And then I had to wait on that and I couldn't get a hold of anyone and I'm not complaining, but it was just brand new to me. And I, I had no idea the frustration that was involved with it. Yeah, it, I had never been on unemployment either. And it seems like the first, because you got on it towards the beginning of the pandemic, right? I got a, well, it took me a while because they had an issue with, they didn't know I was me. Yeah. So it took me like three months to get on it, but then I got back paid for the three months. Um, so I didn't lose any of the money, but I was getting pretty um, concerned about yeah. bills and things like that. Yeah. I, I think by the time I had to, I had lost my job, it was the fall at that right. point. So all those months had gone by and there wasn't just like a huge flood of people getting on the system all of a sudden. And it seemed like it was kind of worked out to actually, it was pretty easy by the time oh, nice. I had to do it. And yeah. I feel like I didn't have to do as much, but also I got on the pandemic assistance. So I don't know if that was different than the regular unemployment, but it just seems like it was by the time I got involved in it, it wasn't as hard as I know it was for a lot of my friends. Right. Well, maybe you just a little, maybe you figure stuff like that out that much quicker. Um, I, it is weird too, because like we're, we live 80 feet away from each other and we're doing this over the, the phone lines basically, instead of being able to sit in person for safety reasons. So it is kind of just a weird, the whole thing's just a weird thing to deal with as everyone knows. Yeah. And also, I, I haven't seen you outside as much as I usually see you outside. Yeah, that's we're all, we're all avoiding some things outside. Exactly. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes I think that's because uh, well, I sat out there for a while when I was um, I have, I would set up my computer out there quite a bit for a while. Um, but uh, the the beautiful kid that comes out and plays um, tended to kind of disrupt that. I mean, not, I mean, she's a young girl. She's supposed to go out and play and I get that, but it, it's just hard for me to focus. So instead of turning it into an issue, I just kind of bury myself in here. Yeah. But that's what being neighbors is about. And hopefully they know, Hey, I'm a good neighbor. He's not causing a problem. My kids out there making tons of noise. I had a kid, so I get it. Yeah. But you know, I wanted to also ask you about being raised in the desert. I was thinking about the things I wanted to talk to you about. And I know that you were, um, you know, if you would talk about the fact that I think you were raised north of, of LA in the great American desert. What, what's it like growing up in the California desert? Well, when I was growing up there, it was pretty empty still. Right. So it was fun because you could, you know, make dirt, like you could make jumps for your bike and do ride your bike around. And there was lots of empty places to just ride your bike right in the flat, empty desert. So that was fun. And 
yeah there was just lots of like open places to go play to explore yeah yeah and it wasn't really like it wasn't like a city like that's dense so you could go do stuff and just come back when you had to come back how old were you when you moved to the los angeles area i was i moved here when i was 18 right so was it was there any kind of culture shock or had you been showing up down here enough where you were already like i understand what it is i had already had i had friends down here already just because when I was in high school, I kind of got done with as many classes as I could so that I could have less classes when I was a junior and a senior. And then I came down here a lot to go to shows and things like that. And then so by the time I I lived here, I already kind of had friends down here. And were you coming down here? I think you mentioned you played in bands before. You're a keyboard player. Were you coming down here to do that or were you just coming down here because you w wanted to be in the city? I just came down here because in the, well, it, it was fun in the desert when I was younger, but then right. when I got older and I was in high school, there wasn't anything to really do. And so I think I just got tired of sitting in the desert and drinking <laughs> at you. night because that's what everyone would do. Is just like sit in the middle of the desert and drink and because, contemplate. Yeah. You know, because we weren't really old enough to be like, you couldn't go to a bar or anything like that or go do anything. So they would just sit in the desert and drink. And it's like, right. I just couldn't, I couldn't sit in the middle of the desert and drink anymore. So you I had... just came out here and I found people who were interested in the same things as me and we could actually work on stuff together. Well, see, now I know where you developed your skill at uh, drinking whiskey um, because I re still remember <laughs> that one night in particular, you came down with your friend and a bottle of whiskey and I had to be to work early the next day. And I'm pretty sure I showed up and two hours sleep and still whiskey buzzed because you guys, you guys hung out. It was, it was fun. And my buddy Matt was there and it, he was always entertaining and uh, we sat and drank whiskey on uh on your on your dime that particular night, I remember. Oh yeah, and my friend was being very inter. I think that my friend and Matt were being really because she she was she's an actress, and so I feel like you guys were all just being very entertaining. Yeah, I think too. Sometimes it's interesting with Matt because you know, I mean, I guess I don't really look at people and go, "Wow, they're good looking" or "They're not good looking," but. You know, Matt was a model and, you know, he's kind of a charming fellow. And I think sometimes the friends you brought down were a little enamored with him because we'd drink for a while. And Matt's habit would be he would just go, hey, I'm going to the men's room. And he'd end up falling asleep on the floor of the couch. And then your yeah. friends would your friends would always go, hey, where's that other guy? <laughs> and, and I'm like, well, I think he's sleeping on the floor and they'd always be bummed out. Yeah, I feel like that did actually happen that night is that yeah. then he had fallen asleep on the couch and that person kept asking me where he had gone. Yeah, yeah, it was kind of important to her. I could see after I didn't know until I said, I think he's sleeping. And she, just the look on her face was she was all bummed out about uh, about like, oh, my God, I think uh, I think I had some chemistry with that fellow going on. So but that was just one of the many uh, I, I also 
thought of uh, when we went up to the desert as a group from the apartment complex with Mike uh-huh. <laughs> and the jelly thing mm-hmm. that you did. Would you be able to tell that story to the listeners? I mean, it's going to ruin some things if I ever, you know, want to play the trick on any of them again. Oh, but I see what you're saying. I mean, but basically, I don't remember where I learned this trick from. I think it was actually from when I was living in the desert for a while. I oh. um, I started hanging out with a bunch of people that were really into going to like church groups and they'd had this like youth group on Wednesday nights and I'd go to it. And I think that then we would all go to Denny's after. And well, I we, think- it's funny because we were in like a restaurant setting like that. And I just, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I forgot. I should probably preface before you tell the story, let people know how Mike was Yeah. to make the story even make better sense because Mike was this kind of, you know, he was a big kind of outgoing fellow. He had, a John Wayne type attitude and he would he loved to kind of pick on people and he often would do practical jokes on people um you know I liked Mike a lot of people didn't like Mike because he had a gruffness to him that some people found offensive and so we're at this restaurant with a group of people and I think he was doing practical jokes or talking about them and then all of a sudden you had this idea that came to you about dealing with Mike. Yeah. I think I was, I forget where I was sitting in a relation to Mike, but also, yeah, nobody ever messed with Mike because he was kind of just, he, he was always doling it out, but he couldn't take it. Exactly. And so nobody ever really messed with him. And when he did tell you stories, it was like this thing where you, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't imagine ever being that situation. Like it was always this like really crazy story about like fighting forest fires or something like that. Right. And so, you you know, you just never really mess with them. But anyway, we were, we had gone out into the desert on this trip and it was your family was there that had was visiting and you know, I don't really know them very, very well. I know you guys and you guys know that I'm nice. And so you probably didn't expect me to do this, but then, Oh my gosh, it was such a surprise. But then I, I told Mike, Hey, you want to see a magic trick? And Mike is very into science. So I knew that that would immediately like spark his interest because he could like say oh well actually that's not magic like it's this or that and right plus he liked telling people how smart he was yeah uh and then so I pulled out the jelly and I opened it and I put it out in front of him and then I put some salt in it and I was like feel it it's getting hot or I said oh feel it's like feel how it's getting warmer and then he I could tell like doubted it but he just like but it was also like (laughs) seven in the morning yeah which is also to my advantage because I think I would have never got him to do this if he wasn't sitting down to drink coffee at seven in the morning. Um, and then he put his hand over and I smashed his hand in the jelly Yeah, really hard. It was hysterical. And then I immediately was just like, oh my God, I just did this in front of all these people. Uh, it was then- so funny the way everyone reacted because they could not, no one could believe that you would do that to Mike. 
Right. And also they didn't really like your family members didn't really know me. So they probably were like, that's so mean, but it, it was also so funny in that moment, just because nobody ever does stuff like that to Mike and he actually wasn't mad and he thought it was funny. Yeah. He was kind of, he was the one who was quiet the, mo the longest. I think he was like, okay, okay. Yeah. I didn't expect that. And he probably, especially didn't expect it from you because you come off, uh, I think, you're you have like um you're very friendly but you tend to be thoughtful so it comes across to being maybe a little more quiet than other people and so that can also be construed as shy or mm -hmm. weak or mm -hmm. a bunch of things that really isn't you because you're not really shy and you're not really weak and and i think he was just shocked because he was like i totally misjudged this lady like she's got spine is what he's thinking. Like no one does stuff like this to me. Yeah. I immediately kind of, uh, yeah, I immediately didn't think it was such a good idea, <laughs> oh, but, no. then, but then the fact that he, everyone just kind of, I, I feel like because it was the morning and right. nobody really knew how to react that it was like made it even funnier. It was hysterical. it was literally seven in the morning, I feel like, because we had yeah. all gotten up like right when the sun came out to go drive to the desert. Yeah, it's funny because I I'm not big on practical jokes because I used to I was usually the younger person around, so they were always done to me. So as an adult, I'm not a fan of of practical jokes. And then Mike would always do them to people. Mm -hmm. And he'd laugh and think it's so funny. And for a long time he didn't do any to me. And then one day he did one to me. And then it's like, okay. Cause I just, I remember it's like, okay, dude, you did a practical joke on me. So one night we were sitting on the patio and for some reason he was bringing out bottles of sangria. He didn't normally drink. And, uh, he was like on his second bottle and he's like, man, I, I, I'm really having a good time, but I also have to work really early. Could you tell me what time it was? So I went inside and it was already like midnight. So I cut two hours off of it or an hour and a half off of it. And I'm like, yeah, it's just like, it's like nine 30, buddy. You got plenty of time. And he goes and finally gets the third bottle and comes out. Hey, man, wow, man, it's got to be late. And I go in and it's like four o'clock in the morning. And I'm like, no, no, dude, it's like one. It's one o'clock. You're fine. And so basically he finds out at like 4.30 what time it actually is. And he's normally up by 6, 6.30. And, and that was my way of being like, there you go. There's my practical joke. How's that going for you? You know, and he never, never, ever did another practical joke to me. What, what practical jokes did he ever do on you? You know, he would, cause I worked for him. It was one of the best jobs I ever had. The guy paid me an ungodly amount of money for working for him for three days a week doing the merchandise for Rick Springfield. And, uh, it would be stuff at work where, it, you know, I don't remember cause I don't really care for practical jokes. I don't really remember specific ones, but he would always be, I remember him doing the thing that I don't like is like, ha ha, I, I got you, didn't I? Ha ha, I got you. And, you know, the practical joke people can't just let it go. They can't just go, well, it's something I did. Like you did. You didn't turn it. You just were like, yep, that's it. And I'm done. You didn't go, ha ha, Mike, I showed you I did a better practical joke than you ever thought about. Or I'm the one who, you know, it, I just remember him doing that to me like three or four times. And I just thought, you know what? That's cool, man. That's cool. They weren't big deals. Um yeah. I, also, I just knew that I was like right on the like it was a wire thin hair of like you were on the cusp. Yeah, of like it like pissing him off, especially because you know he was like taking us all to go to the desert. Yeah, 
and you know he's a very he's a giving very giving person yeah he was and so i didn't want to like you know make him feel like i was getting everybody to laugh at him but it just was like this opportunity where i finally had him like i could get him back and yeah. so i had to go i had to just follow through yeah, and, and just so the audience knows, Mike passed away a couple of years back, and uh, uh, Steffi or I, uh, there's no way any of anything we're saying is meant to be uh, negative about this fellow. He was a very unique guy, uh, exceedingly kind, and again, a lot of people didn't like him. He was also a, a staunch Republican and would grind people politically, and he was happy to have those arguments. And but he was really a a, a good guy, and and we would collectively go and do group stuff. All, albeit we were all kind of misfits in that would go. I mean, none of us were. I wouldn't consider myself a mainstream thinker either. I don't know about you, but uh, but he was quite a character. I remember one day at work. He had like seven different businesses that he juggled and and I worked his uh, merchandise stuff and he ordered this tent from one of those online like camping sites and I came back and he's like he he's trying to put it together and he gets so mad that he's you know and it's got flex um, fiberglass poles and it's it's a vinyl tent. And he gets so mad, he starts trying to break the, the poles, but they're flexing and he can't break it. And he, he grabs a hammer and he's beating on the tent on a cement floor. And I, I couldn't help it. I started laughing because it looks so absurd. Like he's not doing any damage to anything, but he's so mad. And I laughed and then he was mad at me. He's like, what's so funny? You don't laugh at me. And he was, he was pissed. And he, he stands up and he's challenging me. And I said, well, if you really want to know why I'm laughing, I went over and I grabbed a uh, razor knife and I go, you might try this. It might actually do something to the tent. And that's what calmed him down. Like he realized maybe how, how, how absurd it looked. Uh, but he was, he was, he was a big character that way. Yeah. He had the best stories. He did. And I think, I think it was his ability to stretch the truth that made a lot of his stories really good. And I could never tell which ones I'm like, you know what? I, I, I think I totally believe this one or that one. I'm like, ah, I think he's stretching it a little bit there. There's ones that I don't even know who to ask because they're so out there that I'm like, I have no idea. Yeah. He, um, uh... You know, I think at one point he mentioned he he worked for the government in a covert way. Mm -hmm. um, he did spend some time, I think, uh, behind bars, at least the story he told me, he told me why. It was mostly like uh, misguided youth stuff. Um, and he regretted all that. And, and uh, but yeah, he had he had tons of stories stacked up. I spent time with him. He, he's he definitely drew odd stuff to him. So I believe a lot of the stories. Yeah. Well, he was a fun neighbor. He was a fun neighborhood. And, and, and I mean, he was a fun neighbor. And we're talking about the neighborhood today on the show. So he was good to include in that. Mm -hmm. um, I, also, <laughs> I also wanted to ask you about working at uh, JPL. Does that make you like a geek? The fact that you worked there? I know you don't work there anymore, but... Um. Are you a science geek? Is that? I thought it would be more geeky than it actually was. Right. Once I got there, it was more like manufacturing. Ah. Uh, 
like I, I, I feel like it was more of like a manufacturing. And what were you society. doing there? Uh, I was doing flight assembly. Okay. What is that? Um, soldering. And then I was also doing like redlining parts for engineers that needed to be included on like rev updates for Mars rovers. Right. And like satellites and different things they were working on. And then materials planning. So just lots of kind of like helping with the manufacturing aspect of making um, their various projects come to life. And did you end up like uh, doing all that somehow because you were always involved with aerospace? I mean, because up in the desert, they, there's a lot of aerospace workers and things of that nature. Is it something you just naturally understood? Is that how you got into it? I got that job. I was going to school for electronics and it was just kind of a program they had to, to get people going into JPL. You could start, you could work there. And then, so I went there and I took a test and then I started working there part-time and then I started working there full-time. And then you, uh, you just like, okay, I'm gone. And then you went back into the keyboard business, right? Yeah, it wasn't exactly what I thought it was going to be over there. Um, but then, and also I had to be in morning meetings at 7 a.m. every day. Yeah. And I thought I would get used to waking up that early, but I'm just not really a morning person. And so every day for two years, I had like a stomach ache because I just feel sick. When I, when I wake up early, I just feel sick all the time. So. I was, I just felt like I'm better at music stuff and then it's better for me to help people figure out what they want to do when they want to make something and they're happy. But when you're working on projects for, you know, the government and NASA and things like that, everything is always far behind schedule. Yeah. And that so makes ev- sense. everyone's really stressed out and you go to meetings. I had meetings at 7am and everyone would be like pointing their fingers at everybody and mad and all the engineers would be like mad. And then all the other engineers were just so jaded. They were like, I bet you this thing isn't even going to go into the atmosphere. It's going to blow up. And so oh there was like, you know, I worked on a, a Mars Rover for, two years and when it launched I didn't even tell anybody I worked on it because everybody there had been like talking the uh, I don't know if I can say this word but like shit talking the project the entire time that I didn't even want to tell anybody like oh I'm I worked on this thing because I was so sure that like it was going to explode because that's what everyone was saying oh my so I just didn't tell anybody until it actually landed and it was fine and I was like oh yeah I worked on that Nice. Then I felt like it was safe because I just didn't want to tell everybody and then something bad happened. And then I don't know, but yeah, it was, it was just not what I thought. And then when you do music stuff, everyone's generally happy. Well, I think too, listening to you say that I realized that um, I'm like, Oh, that makes sense. Cause you strike me as more of a creative person than, um, um, I mean, I hope this doesn't insult you in any way. You seem m- more creative than, say, responsive to conforming um, environment, if if that makes sense. And it sounds like, yeah, I, I, I imagined you're on a deadline all of a sudden. And you got everyone telling you what to do. 
Whereas with the keyboard work, you're actually probably helping and being part of the, the decision-making process. So it's more fun, I would think, for you. Yeah, it's also just maybe I'm better at taking a project from start to finish and knowing like that's what I have to do instead of like being part of a cog of all these different people in inside of a huge corporation kind of thing, even though it's not a corporation, but still. So it was fun there. And I learned a lot of stuff that helps me still to this day with synth stuff. But yeah. And in, manu- in manufacturing since, like I have a better idea of how to do that now because of it and, and testing equipment. Um, but yeah, it's better for me to work with musicians. Who was your, who is your, or was your like big personality that walked through the door that you were like, oh my God, this is so cool. I get to work on a synth for so-and-so. I, obviously it could have been a record producer um, a guy like Keith Emerson, was there a person that came in that you just are like, were so impressed that you got to help them? Um, hold on. I have to think. That's okay. Um, I'm sorry. No one comes to mind. <laughs> no, I, 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 it's like everybody that I can think of that's I is impressive to me is yeah. like impressive to me for like really nerdy reasons, but nobody else would even know who they really are. Interesting. But you know, there were there was also just you know people that would come in and it was cool because they kind of fit into what you would think about them. Like I just remember, oh, what's that guy? It's not it's not Tommy Lee's a drummer, but he's a guitar player. Oh, and a guitar player was coming oh, Nikki, in. Oh, Nikki Six. Yeah. Uh, I think Nikki Six is a guitar player. I'm not really sure. But like he came in and he just totally like had the hair yeah. and the cool outfit. And, you know, I, it was, I, when, where I was working was just kind of like this little weird shop. And he was just like, oh, do you have any Diet Cokes? Like I just had a refrigerator full of Diet Cokes. And I was just like, no, I don't have any drinks, even for myself here, you know? Right. So it was just funny because he was so nice about it and he was coming to buy a theremin, but he totally was just like, oh, I guess a funny one that came in and it was totally what you would expect was Steven Tyler. Oh, wow. Because I, you know, I grew up with 80s Aerosmith where he's just like so much energy. Yeah. And then he came into the shop and it was just even more energy than you could ever even imagine. Oh, wow. And, and then he was telling his assistant, Oh, can you get me a Red Bull? And I'm just thinking this person does not need a Red Bull. (laughs) It's time to stop the Red Bull, baby. (laughs) It was, it was super funny because, you know, I kind of knew what to expect, but I had a coworker at the time who was, he's probably in his early twenties. He has no idea what Aerosmith is. And he's just kind of like this nerdy, like Bitcoin guy who doesn't really know about pop cult, like pop culture at all. Right. And he's, he went up into the other area of the shop to go to the bathroom. Steven Tyler did. And then that guy was just sitting there on his computer and apparently he put his hands 
in front of his face and he was like, close your eyes. And this, you know, my coworker has no idea who this person is. Right. And it's just like Steven Tyler comes behind you and like puts his hands in front of your eyes. He's like, close your eyes. Tell me when you think I'm about to hit your face. And he's just like, who are you? And then he turned around and he saw him and he still had no idea who he was. Wow. And then so later on, he was just like, what is that guy's problem? And I was just like, you have no idea. That guy's so crazy. And full, (laughs) fully loaded with Red Bull. Yeah. (laughs) So what is a a theremin? I actually know, but I just want to hear you explain it to the audience. Um, It was an early electronic music instrument. Uh, that was invented by Leon Thurman and it's the first instrument that you can play without touching as well. So it looks kind of like a radio, old school radio antenna or uh, something like that. The ones I've seen at least. Mm-hmm. And you basically, I've seen, you've actually shown me how it works. <clears throat> and you, you move your hands around the structure Uh and it reads the electromagnetic pulse i assume is that Mm -hmm. correct Mm -hmm. and because of that how does how does it create different tones and how does it how does it it make its changes are you aware how it happens well yeah there's a volume right antenna and so that's the closer your hand gets to it it can like sense that within the field and then that's the offset of what the volume is going to be and then there's another antenna and that's the pitch. And so it senses how far away your hand is from that. And that the offset of that is like what the oscillator's beat is. And so, that's how you get the pitch out of it. So if you set it up in the center of my apartment mm-hmm. and no electronics around it have been moved, if I put my hand in my right hand in one position and my left hand in the other position, it would probably hit the same pitch and frequencies as it did the day before is that is that how i mean can you actually write a song on it where you're playing the same thing or is there variance to it every time um you can you can set it up it has if it's a good i think the better theremins have like an eight octave range um but you can usually kind of set the pitch in one place because there's a there's a a on mine at least there's like a wheel and you can set you can set like a starting pitch and you can kind of know like how far away you usually stand away from it set that tone um and that's kind of your starting point and then you can kind of like just measure your hand movements but it really would vary slightly and it's good to have a good ear to like kind of like slide into it so you would be you would be like you know what movements you make and you know the position of those movements. And then it becomes kind of instinctual is what you're saying. You would just, if you got good at it, you would naturally know, Oh, I got to move my hand a little more this way. Cause it's not receiving it the same way today. Yeah. Like when you see actual theremin players, they'll have like things where they like put in certain fingers and that, you know, that can kind of be like a, a way to go up an octave, you know? Right. Um, and then they'll just do like little wrist movements and then move their arm back and forth. But yeah, they kind of like measure where it goes, but that's also like, you always have to be like hearing it. It also helps to have some sort of like reverb pedal so that you can kind of like, uh, slide into the right pitch if you don't hear it right away. 
Right. It's yeah. a very, it's a very interesting thing. Um, when you showed it to me, I'd already known about them, but I'd never seen one. <clears throat> and it was, it's, it is a fascinating thing because you can just, it engages you while you're create, you know, cause you're moving your body, even though you you could do it just with your hands, but most watching you, you were moving your body to make your hands go. And it's so it's almost very interactive. Um, more so than just making the music you're interacting with frequency. So it's really, yeah. really a fascinating thing. I've been trying to train my parrots how to play it, but they're afraid of it. Oh, that's funny. So if you put, if you set the parrot next to it, if they moved a little bit, it would change the pitches and things like that. And then if they move their head, it would also change things. That's yeah. interesting. But they just get afraid and fly off. <laughs> it's not friendly parrot music, apparently. No. Hey, do you remember when I talked you into playing Theremin Girl for me? Yeah. That was fun for me. Was it a fun experience for you? Yeah. I, I'm just kind of shy about film being filmed. Right. But I'm learning. Yeah. Stephanie did this. Uh, um, I was working on this documentary uh, about uh, Lee Chrisman, this conspiracy oh, yeah. radio guy. And she uh, was beautifully morphed into the real not so real lady named theremin girl and we did an interview with her and we cross cut her playing the theremin which was a lot of fun to do and i'm sure it's buried in the internet somewhere where conspiracy would be buried but uh, i'm sure we could still find a uh, theremin girl alive and well on the internet yeah i think that there was a uh, there's a synthesizer site that found theremin girl right and they were like, oh, look. And they found it not that long ago. I remember, gosh, that had to be a long time ago because I, I remember Julian helped out and he was clapping for us. And I, I heard um, I heard that audio so, uh, just a little while ago and I, I didn't realize how small he, because his voice was still like really high. Yeah. He was just a little kid. But I remember a couple years after that, that you told me, um, someone in that worked with you or something had saw the, the, the video. And then I went on where it was posted and I saw that they had commented on it, that they knew you and they, they were all happy. And they're like, look, here's Theremin girl and this whole thing. Did you get met this time recently with, was it cool that people recognized you that way? Or were you like, Oh God, I wish I had done that. Oh no, it was fine. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, you know, it was, it was for a fun documentary. Yeah. It was fun. It was a lot of fun to do. We've had a lot of fun um, being neighbors and kicking around and, and just uh, um, doing odd things, I guess, together. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's just kind of sad right now because when these kinds of things happen, we're supposed to be like cooking for each other and having, yeah. you know, like we should all be having barbecues together outside, but it's like, we all have to just stay in our apartments and stay away from each other. Yeah. So it's kind of a weird time for the apartment building. And we used it to is. have like, remember when they would close off the street and they would have like a huge neighborhood party yeah. and stuff. And that's some years back at this point. I mean, I don't think yeah. we even know the neighbors really, like in the condo building, they got, you know, they tore that, that duplex down and they built the big condo. And I don't think those people even interact with Jody when she walks the dog, to be honest with you. 
yeah, they'll they'll talk to me, but they're just always saying after the pandemic you'll have to come over, and I'm right. like, okay, you know. So it's just it's kind of hard to get to know people when everyone's wearing masks. Like I don't even think I would know what that lady looked like, you know, if I saw her out at the store without a mask on because I've only seen these people with their masks on. No, that's true. It's funny because I know that I can't be as uh, outgoing as normal when I'm wearing a mask, just because I tend to be a little bit um, sarcastic or self-deprecating. Yeah. And I, I realized pretty quickly on that because people can't see the nuance of my face, they don't realize they, they take everything very serious, right? Like, so they don't know, Oh, Oh, I see the guy's kind of making light of that, or he's being sarcastic or, you know what I mean? So I find that the mask thing is very strange, but to your point, yeah, who would know? Like, oh, you're that lady. Oh, I didn't know your whole jaw did that or your smile looked like that. I've never seen your smile. I also find that I'll be smiling at somebody at the store, like a cashier. And then they just look at me like, why yeah. is this person staring at me for so long? Because they can't see I'm smiling. So it just looks like I'm intensely staring at them. Yeah. And that would be confusing for anybody. Well, when I got my shot um, for the vaccine, I, I remember they, they give me the shot <clears throat> And when I was signing in, I noticed this lady across from me uh, and her handwriting technique was very strange to me, the way she held the pen. And so they gave me the shot. I go to sit, they have you sit down for 15 minutes and I go to sit down and she happened to be there. And I'm like, Hey, did you get, do you mind if I ask a personal question? She's like, yeah. And I go, where did you go to school? And she told me, and I go, did they teach all of you to, to write that way? Or did, is that just your personal style or whatever? And we talked about it and then a little bit into that, this uh, young lady came over and she's like, uh, John, you, you, you can go now if you like. I go, oh, thank you. And I look back and I start talking to this lady. So the young girl comes back like a, a minute later and basically tells me I have to go. Mm -hmm. Right. And I, cause they need the chair. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know I was just being polite. And when I left, I was like, man, I, I just got the weirdest vibe from this girl. And then I realized Oh, I see. She's looking at me with a mask. I'm completely relaxed when she says, Hey, look, you got to go. I, I wasn't offended. I was just completely relaxed, but all she could see was my eyes. And I think she was reading into it. Like I had some weird attitude towards her because I was expressionless in a way from her yeah. point of view. So I'm like, Oh damn, that's one of those instances with masks. Like it, that's a mask thing that's making bad human interaction happen. So did that lady write that way because she's a serial killer? Uh, you know what? She confessed. She said, <laughs> I, I write that way because I'm a serial killer. <laughs> no, you know what she did that was really fascinating to me, at least, is when I was taught to write, the pen goes across the second finger and then up uh, into the thumb, right? Yeah. She took it like she was carrying it on the three tips, the thumb and the two fingers. And it would stick like a, it was a quill, like sticking up out of nowhere, basically. She didn't, oh, wow. rest, yeah, she didn't rest it on her hand in any way. And that's, I, I mean, I just, I didn't think it was weird. I thought, wow, that's kind of beautiful that, that she can write like that. It almost, cause it did, it, it was a pen, but it felt like she was writing with a quill. You know, she had kind of a strange hook to her hand. And uh, I just thought, damn, I don't, I wish they taught me how to write like that. That looks really cool. That's kind of why I was, I was curious about it. Um, but she was just like, no, that's just how I learned how to do it. And I'm a serial killer. <laughs> <laughs>
So that was interesting. The whole, the whole thing about COVID in so many ways is interesting. And like you say, I don't really like the fact that it hampers people from interacting with each other. Um, but some days it, it's like, Hey, wow, I don't have to deal with this person. Cause I can pretend they got my mask on and it's just time for me to move. Hey, I got to get going. And oh I got my, my mask on. And so in some ways it saves us, I'm sure at, at certain points. I, the one reason why, I mean, I really wish Mike still lived here just because I would love oh, to see, God. I would love to see Mike's response to the, the new neighbor. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, they actually knew each other some time ago. They hung out and they would smoke, uh, they would burn weed together in the garage. Uh-huh. So I don't know if, if it would be like, you're my buddy from back then, so I'll tolerate some stuff that other people aren't too interested that, in tolerating. That's, that's what I'm interested. That's what I would be interested in, like, because I would think the opposite of that, but I yeah. know that that would somehow really surprise me and that they probably would be like best friends. Yeah. And then I would yeah. be like, wow, okay. It is, it, it is fascinating because, um, I've been here, you've been here longer than I have. I've been here, I think 16 years now, something like that. And you do, someone new moves in and, and, uh, you know, in this case, um, the person I'm talking about, they have uh, family and they have kids and which doesn't really bother me. And at first they're like, boy, we're sorry about all the noise we're making. And I'm like, Hey man, don't worry about that. I I've made more noise here than anyone who's ever lived here. So I'm not going to take it personal. I've had a kid, um, and just watching how, like, if you don't really pay attention to how you're affecting other people, people get a little like upset about that. Like, like, what are you doing? And you're not really giving me my space and you're, you're, you're kind of taking control and the rest of us have kind of let this happen for a long time and you're doing all of this. I mean, it's a very interesting thing, right? Yeah, it's, there's definitely, I mean, yeah, I like, I don't mind kids playing. I don't mind any of that. I just mind. Uh, yeah. Other, other, other things. No, no, I get it. I'm not, we don't, I'm, we're talking to the public. We don't need to like air laundry or anything like that, but, you, <laughs> but you're right. Mike would be a very interesting fellow to see what his take is on it. I do well, suspect he doesn't let anybody just kind of move in like well, right. on, on there's territory. So right. I would just be interested to see that because yeah, there it's like, it's, it, there's definitely like a line that's been drawn in the sand and it's definitely been trampled over. Right. At this point. Yeah. To, to everyone else, but yeah. that's okay. <laughs> it, it is, it, it is, it, 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 but it would have been interesting because Mike too, uh, you didn't say this, but it, it it's kind of in what you're talking about. He would, he was pretty territorial. Yeah. He didn't like the neighbors even coming like the other yeah. neighbors coming over here to look for the cat and stuff. Yeah. He didn't like when they were building the condo because it infringed on him. Not, you know, it's like the noise was like, Hey, you know, he'd yell at those people. Yeah. That you was know, a he, long time. <laughs> that he, took forever. It did. It took like three years for them to do the, uh, you know, a six unit condo. It was like, it, you would be, finally, I have a day off of work. And then it would just be like, bang, bang, bang. And I'd be like, yeah. oh, screw this. I just want to go back to work. Yeah. But he would also like, he, he ended up putting up that green thing that's out there on, on the fence because the neighbors at the time in the house next to us bothered him. And 
they would he some days I'd wake up and he'd hear him just having an argument with the guy at full volume. Yeah. And you're just like, well, I guess Mike made another friend today. Yeah. You know, and that's he was he was really a good guy, but man, he was pretty rugged uh, and he didn't have tolerance for things that he didn't. I mean, he knew what he didn't want to put up with and he was not shy at saying, I'm not going to put up with that. Yeah. I'm just glad that I lived in this building. Cause I feel like he was kind of like it, like I would be in, included in his like end times group. Yeah. If anything ever happened, he'd be like, Oh yeah. Like we're all, we're all in this together. So I'd yeah. rather be on his team than be on like the te- the next door team or something. Well, he was, he was stocked up for end times. I don't know if he qualified as a, as a like uh, prepper or anything like that. But he, you know, as you're aware, he, he certainly liked going out and shooting uh, weapons and he had his fair share of them. And his joke would always be uh, one of the other ladies who lived here to be like, you know, what are you doing with all those guns? What are you? And he'd joke around and say, well, when end times come, I'm ready. And she goes, oh, you don't need that. He goes, yeah, I do. Cause I'll come upstairs with my gun and sit down and say, make me some dinner, bitch. You know, and, <laughs> <laughs> and to him, that was like the funniest joke. And I don't know if he understood like it, the other people aren't going to think that's funny, but maybe that's what he thought was funny was just the fact that he would say the joke, like that he would just be, he well, knew. Also the jokes on, on him because then he would have to spend the end of times with that lady. Yeah. Which wouldn't be fun. For him. <laughs> which is like his worst nightmare. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So I think it was just like a joke on, on everyone at that point. Yeah. He was a fun guy. Hey, look, I think, uh, it was wonderful that you came on and you were willing to have this talk. My podcast really is about interesting people that I know in my life. And it, it really is fun in a way to go. Yeah. This is my neighbor and she's a really cool, interesting person. And I doubt that I found a way to get all of that out for audiences to hear but I know at least we got a part of that out. So I really appreciate you coming on to do the podcast. Thanks for having me on the podcast. You are more than welcome. And you did one of the best introductions I've ever heard. The way you nailed that, locked it down. Thank you. Is there there any, normally, uh, you know, I'm dealing with uh, people that like, I'll, I'll do a lot of these with musicians or I'll do these with actors. See, this is a very interesting thing. Normally, at this point, I say, well, why don't you give your contact information and why don't you give your website? But see, you're just an interesting, average, normal person mm-hmm. in the world. You're not selling anything today. That's how I mean that. I have nothing to sell. Right. But you're a very, very interesting lady. So here's the thing. You, do you have a website you want to promote yourself on or anything like that? I don't have a website. See, I love that. That's I just fantastic. came to talk and say hi. And be in the moment. I almost bought that Ikea shelf. Which the one? one that, the one behind you. I like that shelf, actually. I'm not big on Ikea stuff, but I really like that shelf. I sat there for about six months waiting for it to come back in stock during the pandemic. And then finally it came back in stock and I lost my job. and I didn't need it anymore. <laughs> I... I, I well, I'm sorry you lost your job, but I, I'm sorry you missed out getting the shelf because you you do have a shelf behind you, but it's very symmetrical. This is also an IKEA record shelf. 
Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, that makes sense because you're putting your albums in there. I like this one, the Ikea shelf that I have because of the different sizes. Mm-hmm. Albeit that one is no longer mine. That one got absconded by my lovely wife, Jody. Um, so I can't really claim that one anymore. But it was fun while I had it. I even forget what I had in it at that time, but it was a lovely shelf. It's a nice shelf. Yeah, I'm not big on Ikea because I can never figure out how to put them together. Did you put yours together? Uh, This was, no. I bought this from somebody and then I I spray painted it green. It was originally white, but I don't want everything white. But I did just put together an Ikea like glass shelf and a, yeah, it's pretty fun. You know, we're not getting paid to talk about Ikea, but I would point out that the Burbank Ikea is the largest Ikea in the United States. I love, I I love Ikea. See, there's a pro for Ikea. I'm the con for Ikea. I'm not big on Ikea. Well, I like putting things together because then I don't have to carry them up my stairs. I understand that. Part. So I like there's a couch I want from Ikea just because I can't fit the an actual couch through my front door, but yeah. I can build the couch. You know what I do? I, now that you're talking about it, I have to admit the thing I like about putting Ikea stuff together is the fact they have their own special tool and their own special lock system. Yeah. Like the, the way, you know, so I, I got to give them props for that. I'm like, every time I put something together, I'm like, wow, this does stitch together pretty nicely. It's pretty easy to do. Um, I just don't tend to, I'm a little hard on things and the, the stuff that I buy typically is for short term use and it usually ends up getting broken pretty quickly. I understand. Yeah. I'm a brute. What can I say? I just don't have the strength to carry stuff up my stairs by myself so i have to build it and you don't tend to ask your neighbors to do it for you although one of them would help you anytime that you needed help i understand but i would also feel bad just randomly going to somebody's door and be like can you help me lift this really heavy thing yeah because that would be a little bit annoying after a while it would add up so i save it for when i like it's like a really like I can't get out of bed and I need to go to the hospital. Then I'll call you. That's, you know, what's funny. That's what I had to do for Mike. (laughs) Oh yeah. He knocked on my door. No, I was actually in the shower and Julian came and got me and said, Hey, uh, Mike's out there. I think he really needs your help today. And yeah. So that's, at least I know I'm good for that. I can't, you won't ask me about the furniture, but you'll ask me for the hospital ride. Well, and I, one time I did call you from work because I realized I left. Oh yeah. Something in the, in the oven. And you went and turned my oven off for me. I, so, actually, that was cool because I got to break into your apartment. Yeah, I told you how to break into my apartment. Yeah, that was really is, cool. And I keep telling you like, oh, don't worry. I'll give you a spare set of my keys so that never happens again. And I still think after 16 years, I haven't done that yet. So I don't think we have them. But I, I remember doing that thinking how cool it would have been if the cops came up on me. <laughs> and I'd be like, no, no, no. I really expected to do this. She's asked me to do this. Yeah, right, sir. You know, as they're handcuffing me and taking me to to the uh, Burbank uh, jail. That would have made my day in a way. Yeah, and you were still friends with me after you saw my house. And so now you're a good neighbor. Well, thank you so much, as are you. And and you're one of my favorite neighbors. There's no doubt about that. Same. It's always good to see you. I'm sorry I didn't get to see you in person today, but it was lovely speaking with you. Lovely speaking with you. Have a nice day. You too. Thank you. 
Okay, bye. Hey there, this is John. I want to thank everyone for listening to the Mobile Radio Carnival at thecef.world. I also want to say, hey, thanks, Stephanie, my neighbor, for being on the show. 